Good evening. So grateful that you've chosen to be with us tonight as we kick off our Shine Camp. Shine was uh, started about four or five years ago, an opportunity to get our young ladies together and uh, help them to grow in their faith and their knowledge of the Lord and also to have some good fellowship. And it has grown over the years, 34 young ladies this year, uh, praying for our counselors and our chaperones this week. It's going to be a great week. So glad that you ladies are here. And the message this, this evening is really geared towards you, but hopefully it affects everyone. And so if you want to take some notes or follow along in your Bible, I will say this to start with. Um, I remember when I was your age. Uh, I know it's been a long time ago, but I do remember it somewhat. And yes, I grew up in a day and time where I didn't get to enjoy many of the amenities that you get to enjoy today. No internet, no cell phone, things like that. But I had an opportunity to enjoy some things that you will never know anything about. And unfortunately, you missed out on, like MC Hammer pants. Um, the rear-facing back seat in a station wagon, like you were going back in time. Um, I actually grew up in a time when MTV played music videos. So that tells you how long ago that was. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. That's 1980s and 90s. Um, the 80s was the best decade of music there's ever been. The 90s was the worst decade of music there's ever been. But I digress. But I also grew up feeling very unsure about myself and not very confident in who I was. I was extremely scrawny very skinny, to the point that I earned nicknames like Skeleton. Um, I had really bad acne. So bad that I can remember working at the grocery store and this little kid, four or five years old, going, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, my upbringing was not something that I care to relive or think about. I grew up in a home where mom and dad fought a lot. At 16, they got divorced. My dad left. Um, I thought to myself, is, is it me? If I had been a better kid, would that have made a difference? So I grew up without a lot of things. But the biggest thing I grew up without was, was Jesus. Who are you? That's a question I want to spend a little time on. Have you ever thought about that question? Have you ever asked yourself that question or maybe answered that question in your own mind? You know, how we answer this question typically is in one of three ways. Who are you? Well, I'm Zoe or I'm Rachel or whoever, right? You answer with your name. Or we answer, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm a cheerleader. I'm quarterback. I'm first chair trumpet player. Or, who are you? Well, it's none of your business. But it's really one of those three answers, right? All of them, though, are deficient in getting at who we truly are. Consider your name, for instance. You learn your name very early in life. You learn to answer to that name. When your mom or dad calls you, especially when they use all three names, you know you'd better come running, right? And so three words, usually three words anyway, strung together become your identifying mark. This is who I am because this is what I am called. But then you think about 
Many times we answer the question, who am I, based on what we do. You know, if you're a, an adult and you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, that begins to define you. But that's inaccurate, really, when it gets down to it as well, because you begin to think, well, I am what I do, and that's not completely right. And then you begin to think, well, if I do more, if I do better, then that gives me a better identity. And that's all fine and good until you lose your job or until you fail at what you're supposed to be doing. So neither of these are good identifiers. Neither your name nor what you do get to the heart of who you truly are. So I ask you again, who are you? And I want to go to the Gospel of John to answer that question. And in the Gospel of John, I want to start reading in verse 19 of John chapter 1. It reads like this. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you, so that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said this, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So, some representatives from the Jewish leaders came and they asked John who he was. And we know who John is. If you don't entirely know who John is, you can keep reading there and read a little further to get his full identity. But these representatives come and they ask the question that we're asking. Who are you? Now, to give you a little background information, the Jews had in mind who they thought the Messiah was. They believed the Messiah would come and set up an earthly throne and make everything peaceful and good for the Israelite people. That he would rule with an iron fist, that he would oppose all the enemies, that he would completely wipe out those enemies if he needed to and make everything comfortable and peaceful for the Jewish people. Some even thought that it would be Moses, like Moses delivered the people physically in the Exodus. Many Jews still believe that the Messiah will be Moses reincarnated. But John quickly answers that question. Who are you? The Christ? No, it's not me. I'm not the Messiah. So he's not the Messiah. Well, then how about Elijah? One of the famed prophets of the Old Testament, right? The belief was that Elijah would come before the Messiah. Elijah would come to set everything in order. He was the predecessor. He was the forerunner. And he would come and he would bring all uh, people together of Jewish descent. Those who were really the Jews, he would separate from the ones who weren't, I guess the fakers. And he would also bring and unite Jewish families back together. He would uh, clean up all the messes so that when Jesus came to earth, he wouldn't have to deal with any of that. And John says, no. That's not me. I'm not Elijah. 
So then the question is asked, well, then are you the prophet? Did you notice that capital P, are you the prophet? Some Jews believe that the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah would return with the coming of the Messiah. But this is really a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, which reads, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Every Jew remembered the promise. They longed for the prophet of all prophets, the one who would be superior to all the prophets who came before him. But once again, John denies that that's who he is. That's not his identity. So finally they give up. No more guessing. We'll just ask you straight out, who are you? Tell us who you are. And I want you to notice how John responds. Verse 22 and 23. Then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said. They continue questioning. Verses 25 and following reads, They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Do you see what John is doing? He is framing his identity by pointing elsewhere. Did you catch that? He didn't respond with, I'm John, don't you know who I am? No, he defines who he is by pointing to Jesus. Who are you? I'm not the Christ. Who are you? He says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Jesus the prophet said. Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet? And once again, John takes it back to Jesus. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. Here's what I see in John's words here, his actions even. They are framed, they are founded, and they are fed by a God who called him and loved him. John consistently found his identity in Jesus Christ. And we need to do the same thing. We need to stop viewing ourselves through the lens of the world because the world doesn't have the first clue about who you truly are. Because the world only looks at who you are from the outside. So you may be scrawny, you may be a little bigger, you may be poor, you may be rich, you may be pretty, you may be ugly. Who knows, right? The world makes those decisions. But who you truly are at your core is someone stamped by the image of God. And the world doesn't see that. The world doesn't understand that. Therefore, you're better off to see yourself as God sees you. You are priceless to God, not because you're somebody... You're priceless to God even if you're nobody because your value is found in the one who made you and the one who died for you. Look at Philippians chapter 2. You're going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 2 this week. The signature verse comes from Philippians chapter 2. We're going to back up a little bit. Let's look at verse 12 and following. It reads, So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work to his good pleasure. 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. The first thing I want you to notice is that Paul refers to these Christians as lights in the world. And your version may say uh, that, that they're shining like stars or that you shine like stars. The word there in the original language for star refers to a navigational beacon that guides ships safely into harbor. You might think of it like an airport and you have the runway lights and you have that beacon that swirls to guide airplanes in safely. That's what you are. That's what we all are as children of God. We are that navigational beacon that hopefully shines and pierces the darkness and brings people closer to the light. It's kind of like those bug zappers that attract bugs. We're not trying to zap anybody, but we want to bring them closer. We want to attract people with the light of Christ. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. So who are you? Well, you're a shining star. You, you know that, right? You are, you are a navigational beacon. You shine the light of Christ. I actually came across a quiz the other day. If you want to know if you have star quality, you can actually take this quiz and they'll tell you whether you should pursue a career in singing or acting. You want to know if you have star quality? Here's a couple of the questions you have to choose from the list. Your friends are rich, stylish, kind, just like me, or what friends? Your mom gives you some money to spend at the mall. What do you buy? A DVD and some popcorn, some new CDs, a magazine, sweets, tons of CDs, or a trendy new top? And one of the questions was, are you a rebel? Yes or no? You will be glad to know that I will not be leaving the ministry anytime soon. I took the entire quiz, and the only thing that I am prepared for in show business is to be behind the camera as a director, which makes sense, because I shouldn't be in front of one. But according to Paul, here's what makes one a star. Back up to verse 1. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, and have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Here's the question. Do you have star quality? Well, that depends. 
Are you someone that unites or divides? Are you a grumbler or a complainer? Are you someone who is compassionate? Someone who promotes unity? Uh, Are you someone who is a servant? Do you regard others more highly than you do yourself? Because according to Paul, that's what it means to be a shining star. Those are the star qualities that Christians must have. Do you want to be center stage in God's big redemption story? Well, then you've got to have these qualities. But there's a problem with all that, isn't there? And the problem is you're teenagers. And we're just kind of genetically modified to kind of be the antithesis of some of those things, right? I mean, it's easy to complain and gripe. It's easy, you know, to kind of create drama sometimes. And it's not just a problem relegated to teens, believe me. It's an adult problem. Who's Paul writing to here? To Christians. (laughs) People that you would think would know better, right? And he's telling them, this is what it means to be a star in the kingdom. This is what it means to be a star in God's show. We should be shining brightly for the world to see because that's what we were made for. That's who we are. And a Christian should never have a dimmer switch on their light. We should be shining it brightly in our speech, in the way that we think, in the things that we do. Our behavior should reflect it. So when someone says, who are you? You don't say, well, I'm Addie, or I'm Summer, or I'm Lindsay. Who are you? I'm a shining star. I'm a Christian. My identity is framed in Jesus Christ because that's who I am at my core, unless, of course, you're not. And what I mean by that is this. It's rather easy to be a Christian at Shine Camp. It's rather easy to be a Christian on Sunday. What's a little more difficult is when you go out into the world and that black hole around you, you get sucked in. It's easy to be a Christian when everything's going smoothly and comfortably and when it's Sunday, it's easy to not be a complainer and not be a drama queen or king or any of those things or a diva or whatever. What's more difficult is when you get back into the world and when you have to face the darkness If we want to change our DNA, we've got to accept these star qualities and we've got to apply them to our lives. But I want to give you some hope. There's hope for all of us here that have a difficult time living by what Paul is saying here. I want you to notice the star qualities that Paul provides. Unity, love, selflessness, humility, looking out for others, service, not grumbling or arguing. What do you notice about all these things? Well, they're all chosen. It's not like some people have these and some people don't. It's not like you can say, well, I'm just not humble. That's just not going to be me. Some people have that, but I just can't ever be that. These are all things that we choose. And these are all things that are related to attitude. I mean, I know that because Paul says that. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is about attitude. More specifically, it's about having the same attitude as Jesus. And so if we're going to shine like stars, then basically what that means is we're going to apply all these qualities to our lives and we're going to live like Jesus. We're going to be like the people that Paul was writing to. And we're going to strive to be like Christ, shining our light, that navigational beacon, 
And that doesn't just happen by show, coming to Shine Camp. That doesn't just happen by sitting in church, just as, you know, sitting in a chicken house doesn't make you a chicken. There's more to it than that, right? This takes diligent effort. We've got to change our DNA sometimes. I have a glove. It's a work glove. You can tell it's pretty dirty. Not because I use I wouldn't be caught dead wearing this thing. But my wife has used this glove a lot. It's a work glove, which means it was made to work in. And it has been used. It's of pretty good quality as far as work gloves go. So let's say, and I hope you can see this, let's say that I set this glove down next to this Bible. And I tell the glove, all right, glove, I want you to pick up that Bible and open it. What do you think is going to happen? Probably nothing, right? Maybe I need to encourage the glove. Come on, glove, you can do it. I believe in you. We all believe in you. We think that you can do this. What's going to happen? Probably nothing. What if maybe uh, we train the glove? Maybe the glove needs to be discipled. Maybe it needs some one-on-one study. And so I take the glove and I say, look, now, I want you to listen to me. This is how you do it. You take the book, you open it up like this, you take your little finger, and this is how you turn the pages, right? And so I, I walk him through it. What do you think is going to happen? Nothing. Maybe he needs to be surrounded with some friends. So I've got other gloves, and they're different kinds, so it's kind of like a multicultural fellowship, right? So we've got all kinds of gloves, and I surround the glove with other gloves, and maybe they can encourage him. Maybe the other gloves being there gets him excited and says, okay, I can do this because they believe in me. No, probably not. You know what I think? I think this glove needs to rededicate itself. I think this glove needs some bigger commitment. I think this glove needs to come forward at the invitation, don't you? Here's the point that's painfully obvious, and you know it, but I'm going to make it anyway. This glove was made to do work, but it can't. Why? Because although it was designed to do work, it can only do work when a hand fills it, right? And that is so true with us. You were made for a purpose. You were designed to do the work of the Lord, but you can't. At least not without Christ, right? Unless Christ is filling you, you can't do this. You can't do it on your own. You've been given the task. You've been given the tools. You've been given the body to do this with. But unless Christ fills you, you're going to be unsuccessful. You have the capacity. You were made for this, but you need the power. So, I want to challenge you this week. And here is my challenge to you. I want you this week to make it stick. It's easy to be a Christian at Shine Camp. It's easy to be with other Christian friends who share the same interests and beliefs as you, that share the same love for Christ. But when it's all said and done and you go back out into the black hole of the world, will you get sucked in or will you shine the light of Christ? Will you be a star or a black hole? That's really the question. 
So I want you to think this week about making it stick. And let whatever you learn this week springboard you into being a changed person the rest of your life. At school, around your family, around your friends. Shining that navigational beacon. So that rather than getting pulled towards the black hole, you're drawing people to you. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day and another opportunity to be here, to worship God. We pray, God, that we fully appreciate and understand that what we do here is only a part of who we are. That when we gather, it's important and it's vital, but when we scatter, it's just important and it's vital as well. Be with us as we go throughout this week. Be with our girls that are here for Shine Camp. Be with the counselors, the teachers. Be with Lauren, who's going to be speaking to them a lot this week. Be, be with all of the folks that are helping to make it a success. And help them to make it stick. Thank you, God. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. If you are a glove, but you're not being filled... Do something different. Change that course tonight. Blake's going to lead us in an invitation song. If we can help you in some way, we would love to do that. But as we say every week, don't leave here without being right with God. Be filled and come now as we stand and as we sing.